Good morning. Let's take just one more moment just to quiet our hearts. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, teacher. Welcome, Father, Son. Pray that as we sit and we abide in your presence, you would open the mysteries of God, and most of all, that you would reveal your heart to us today. We ask this in your triune, mighty name. Amen. I love this gospel text this morning. One of my favorites. Uh, never feels shopworn to me uh, because I never really get beyond the, the scandal and the revolution of these images of God. First of all, that Jesus would describe God our Father in terms with the imagery of a common shepherd who has a hundred sheep, the 99 are fine, loses the one, but when he finds the one that's lost, there's such pure, unadulterated joy that, that he celebrates, he puts the one lost lamb over his shoulders, carries it home, and he, and he parties about this. Or much more scandalous in Jesus' time to imagine that here the image that we get of God is actually that of a housewife who's lost a coin. And she goes sweeping looking for it, and when she finds it, she goes banana. She loses her mind because she's found the one lost coin. Jesus gives these as images of what God is like. He says this is what God looks like. These are expressions for us of the image of God. I cannot get beyond those things. And especially this idea of this God who takes this kind of delight in us, this kind of pure, unadulterated delight, not just a God that we rejoice in, but a God that rejoices in us, not just a God that we can delight in, but a a God that somehow is able to delight in us, and not sometimes. This is his consistent posture, that no matter where you are or where you come from, the posture of God, the gaze of God towards you is always the gaze of love. He's always the father who just wants his sons and daughters back home. No matter where you come from, no matter how you come, he just wants you home. He just wants you in his presence. There's so many things about this that I just can't get my, my head around. And I know, like, I, I feel like there's always people who sort of want you to do, well, that's one side of it. Let's talk about judgment. You can't just tell people God gazes at them with love wherever they are. But see, that's the thing. I really am convinced that people who say things like that just haven't lived enough real life yet because what you find out when you do live some is that it's actually receiving the gaze of God in your lowest and worst place which it, it, it's beautiful in some ways, but that's also a terrifying thing, <laughs> is to find yourself fully loved by God and fully accepted in your most broken moments. That's actually what transforms us, and the only thing that transforms us is to allow God to behold us smiling, even and perhaps especially in our broken places. That is the kindness that leads us to repentance. That is what brings change, actually, is allowing God to love us in all of these places. He delights in us. He delights in seeking and saving that which is lost. So I couldn't help in specifically thinking about this message about um, an experience I had. Uh, A couple months ago, I was reading 
uh, Richard Rohr's forthcoming book on the Trinity. I don't think it comes out till October. It's called The Divine Dance. It's such a, a, a wonderful book, I think. I was reading it early to endorse it, which I was initially hesitant to bring up because I thought that might sound pretentious, like I'm trying to sound cool. Like I don't feel like I'm cool because I'm endorsing a Richard Rohr book. I feel cool because Bono is also endorsing it. That's the thing that makes me feel cool. And those of you that know me know, like, I've been trying to meet Bono all my life, and I can't seem to make it happen. I have, I have stalked him, actually, <laughs> at his home in Dublin. Like, I've been to 17 shows. And so I'm just looking for, like, any point of connection. So, like, now, if I'm ever at a cocktail party with Bono, it'd be like, hey, you know, like, we both really love that Richard Rohr book. Also, I've been to 17 of your shows, and I was the one hiding in the bushes that one night. It's like, you know, and it's going to be like, we're basically the same person, um, and then we'll be best friends. So that, that was the part that made me feel cool. But no, I was, I'm reading this book, and it's all about the Trinity and specifically about the, the bond of love between the Trinity that is the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit of God is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. And he has this section I just, that, that made me weep, uh, where he was, talk, he was actually talking about dogs and how, you know, even the most hard-hearted person, there's something about the gaze of a dog, you know, like the way that your dog just like delights in you, that level of anticipation and eagerness, there's no judgment in your dog's eyes, that thing that happens like when you've not just left the house but left the room and you come back two minutes later, and like your dog is losing their mind because they're so happy to see you. And he uses that as a way of speaking about God's love for us. And I, of course, I'm such a dog person, as you know by now, but it's like, man, I just, that just, just broke something in me really powerful, partly because it reminded me of an experience I had a couple years ago, which I've talked about here and there, and I don't, I don't know if I should talk about some of these experiences because, you know, I, I feel like, a, as it is probably for many of us, our most personal experiences of God are pretty vulnerable and fragile and unique to us in ways that are strange. Uh, I don't even have time to set all this up, but I was at the absolute darkest, lowest point in my life when I found myself, former Pentecostal pastor, figuring out what I'm doing with the rest of my life now, flat on my back in a yoga studio with an eye mask on, doing like this kind of like deep breathing and actually thinking to myself, I'm not just going to hell I'm going to like double hell. Like this is, like whatever the slippery slope is, this is the bottom of it right here. Like this is what my parents always warn me about. Like I'm just, just the most unfamiliar possible kind of environment. And I honestly felt like, to not be super spooky about it, I had the most powerful manifestation of the love of God I've ever had in my life. I'm, I'm down there and I felt like, in a way I can't quite describe, it was like my parents had just got a puppy. Uh, his name was Gabby. At that point, she was about six months old, and uh, I was living in their home, and it's like uh, Gabby was just, and she's so excited to see him. Just all that. And I felt like God kept bringing like, the image of Gabby's face like right here, right in front of mine. I couldn't get beyond it. It was deeply moving because I felt like what I, what I heard the Holy Spirit saying was that th this is how I look at you. This is the way I look at you. This is how I'm revealing my love for you is through the eyes of this dog. And I just couldn't be on it like this face. Like I was receiving the love of God through Gabby's little face. And I just, it just broke me into a thousand pieces. I'm lying there, just, just tears streaming down my face. The fact that for all the reasons that I feel like God should look at me differently or that God should judge me, that that gaze just does not change. This is how he looks at me. This is the only way he looks at me. This is how he looks at me every time he sees me. Something about that just 
just breaks me open. Those of you who are dog owners and lovers understand something of this, right? And why this something spiritual. This is why I worry about some of you cat people, you know, because like, <laughs> what does that say about the state of your soul? That this sneaky, maniacal little creature that sits around plotting and scheming, thinking evil thoughts about you, you, you know? Like, what is, what, what is that about? But dogs is so different. And, and part, part of what Roar talks about there is that the dogs just have such a pure way of being. It's just like they're, they're fully present to the moment. They're just lapping you up. They just love you. They love every ounce of you. There's no self-consciousness. Like, ever. they're just so focused. It's that pure, that pure kind of being. That, for me, speaks so powerfully of the way that God loves us, of the way that God beholds us, of something of what the divine gaze looks like. The other thing from that book that really moved me is that he has a section where he's talking about, again, the spirit as the bond of love between the father and the son. And his illustration for this is the way that a child, uh, if they have a healthy home, like loves to be in between their parents, like loves that. So no matter how nice of a bed you might make for them, make a pallet, whatever it might be, does it matter if the choice is between that or laying in between mom and dad? That's always what they're going to choose. And so he talks about how the spirit exists as the bond of love between father and son, how then the spirit draws us into that place. I was really moved by that when I read it, but because I've never been um, a parent biologically, you know, those are just not experiences I have to, to draw on in my life. I feel like most of my adult life, I just haven't, I don't know, I just haven't had a lot of children around. So it's kind of a new thing for me, in context of my friend Nicole, to be with her and to be with her kids a lot, uh, Charlie and Pepper, and Pepper seven, and uh, th- there was this thing, this literally was two days after I'd read that, and it was so already kind of lodged in my brain. Um, we're with Pepper, and she started doing this thing where she wants us to hug, like she wants to bring us together to hug, like she wants to make us embrace, and that when she does, this sounds like a preacher illustration that like you just make up for the sake of the sermon, I promise this really happened. She will bring us together, and when she does, she'll say, perfect love. This is perfect love. I mean, like just physically wanting to draw us together and to be in, in the middle of the embrace. I'm weeping a lot these days. I, I start crying again because, oh, oh my, like that, this really is what this is. I mean, there is something about our hearts that are already inclined towards we, we want to know that perfect love. We want to be right in that space between father and son. We want, and the Spirit draws us into that place where we're held and where we're fully seen and we're fully known. Like, it, isn't that beautiful? I mean, like everything about that just, just breaks me open. That, that's such an image for how God loves us, for the way that God wants to love us, for the space that he wants to draw us into. And yet, we spend so much of our time still trying to avoid the divine gaze, trying to outrun that delight, which we cannot outrun. Some of us have experienced this at this point, have we not? Who knows what I'm talking about, to try to outrun the delight, to try to outrun the love, to do everything you know to do to somehow get beyond it. Man, it's like that for me and so I think what, for so many of us, what conversion looks like, that's actually where we really change. It really ultimately comes down to a lot of us, we've done, we know what it is to do everything that we can to try to outrun the love of God until finally get to a place where it's like, oh, I, I just cannot get past it. I can't get beyond it. I've tried to outrun. Am I the only person who is, knows this experience? 
Like you try to outrun to the point to where finally you just get tired. And it's not that you have all of a sudden become pious and spiritual so much. It's more like, I just can't keep doing this. Um, Because I feel now bad for the cat people who clearly feel marginalized and bullied by this sermon. I feel like I, sh- I feel like I should throw this in for you. Remember years ago reading Anne Lamont's book, Traveling Mercies, where she describes her conversion experience. It has some blue language, which I won't use. She's very earthy, but she has this great description of how it, it, as she was being drawn to God and first started coming to church, and all of that was very distant for her and kind of living this party lifestyle. She's on her way one night back home to her houseboat, and how this little cat followed her home, and the cat was like nipping at her heels, and she couldn't get away from the, from the cat. And she said, finally, when she uh, got back to the houseboat and she opened the door, she started to go in and like close the door on the cat, but instead she looks back and says, okay, you can come in. And she says, that was the beautiful moment of my conversion. Like, I really do think that that for many of us is what conversion, all right, you can come in. I, I can't outrun you. Even if I take on the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea, David says, even still you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. And so finally we get to a place where we just have to finally own up to it. We can't outrun God. We can't outrun his love. We can't outrun his delight. So why not just let him come in? Why not let the love come in? And it's precisely when we allow God to love us in those most tender, exposed, broken places, to see that instead of eyes of judgment, that God beholds us, not only do we behold him, but that God, in the phrase of Anthony DeMello, God beholds us smiling. That's what changes everything. That's what changes us. That's what makes us whole and holy. Allowing God to love us in those broken places is what makes us into something new and different. So I don't really have a plan or, a, uh, or a, a prescription for spiritual transformation that doesn't involve, first and foremost, coming to learn to sit in the embrace of God's love and allowing God to gaze at you with perfect love and just draw you in. That's what life in the Spirit looks like, allowing God to come and to love us in this way. Um, there's a lot more I, that I could say about that, but I do, I do want to take it in a different direction for just, for just a minute, kind of a detour here. I do think that the most crucial movement always in the spiritual life, everything about life with God comes out of learning to be held, learning to receive the love of God in our broken places. That's what transforms us. That's what changes us. That's what makes all the difference in the world. And yet, I'm mindful that when we're reading a story like Luke 15, It's always our tendency when we have these wonderful stories that we identify with whatever it is that's lost. Like we identify with being the lost sheep. We identify with what it's like to be the lost coin. And certainly in the story that follows, which you did not read, the rest of Luke 15 is about the prodigal son, the lost son. Or I like better how Henri Nouwen puts it, the story of two lost sons that I'll say more about Nouwen in a minute. We identify with that which is lost for so many reasons, not just because... Uh, We all know what it is to be spiritually lost, like in some kind of eternal sense, but we get lost lots of other times in between. I'm lost constantly. I still have to use my GPS to get from here back home, and I've lived in Tulsa for 15, 16 months, whatever. It's embarrassing. I am literally lost all of the time. 
But there are many other ways that I feel lost too. How often do I get disoriented and all of a sudden find myself in a moment, God, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where I am. I don't know what's happening. What, who are you? Where are you? What, what am I being called to do? We so easily identify with the lost things for a good reason. I think we're supposed to do that to a point. And yet, there, there's, this, there's this other thing. That in the same way it's natural for us to identify with that which is lost. Nowen wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And when I read that years ago, which I've never got over, for me the central revelation was this. He talks about how most of us uh, who are Christians spend so much of our lives always moving back and forth, vacillating between either playing the part of the prodigal or being the elder son. So either we are rebelling, I'm going to do my own thing, do it my own way, or if we get cleaned up, go to church, worship, try to pray, whatever, next thing you know we're the elder son and we're maybe technically keeping the rules, but the heart of the Father is far from us, and we become legalistic, we become rigid, we become judgmental. And so people just spend so much of their life, one end of the continuum to the other, either I'm being the prodigal or I'm being the elder. I'm being the prodigal or the elder. And now it says that the only way it's possible to break that cycle of always being either the prodigal or the elder son is to begin to adapt the characteristics of the Father, to start living like the Father, to become like the one who is looking for his son, who is searching for his son, who is there waiting to embrace his son. That's been so powerful for me because I feel like there, just for so many of us, we spend so much of our lives, and this is especially true for some reason. I think sociologically there's a lot of reasons for it, but I'm not trying to give a lecture. A lot of reasons why right now people take a long time to decide what they're going to be when they grow up in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, beyond what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I really, and in that sense of like, what is God really calling me to do? I think part of why we end up spinning our will sometimes in that place is because we always still identify as the lost thing, waiting for God to find us, waiting for God to embrace us, and don't live awake and alert to the lost, searching people around us. The strange thing about how the Spirit of God works in our lives and changes us is it's actually often, while we still are not yet whole, while we still are in so many ways broken, while we are not yet entirely made well, when we allow God to love through us, when we allow ourselves to become an extension of the Father's heart for the world around us. So instead of living stuck, focused in our own needs, in our own concerns, in our own wants, just right with all of that in front of us all the time, we become aware of people around us. That's so often, I believe, how God actually transforms us. So long as I'm going around always taking the temperature as to how I'm doing spiritually and how do I feel about everything. So whenever I go to church, I'm hyper-conscientious. Are people nice to me? Are people reached out to me? Are they drawing me out? This person said hello, but they're gays quickly. What did that mean? Do you think you're better than me? All these things, right? It's too hot. It's too cold. The constant, like, all of that it comes out of being hyper-obsessed and focused on what we need, what we want, even our own sense of lostness and disorientation. What does it look like when instead we decide to join the rescue team and the search party? And even though there are some ways that we might not feel entirely found ourselves, we are joining ourselves with the heart of God to try to embrace others who are lost and searching and looking. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking about some big evangelism strategy necessarily, though it could be that. I'm talking about being awake. I'm talking about being alert to the real needs of people around us. 
Because it's often not until even in our own places of pain and brokenness that we reach out into someone else who's in a broken place that we are able to receive healing for ourselves. What would it look like for you to become the person who embodies that hovering delight of God for someone else instead of just waiting on something to zap you? Now instead, in another book, uh, we have this for the screen. And I love this quote. A man can keep his sanity and stay alive as long as there is at least one person who is waiting for him. I love that. A man can keep his sanity and stay alive so long as there's at least one person who's waiting for them. I wonder who in your life needs you to be the person who waits, needs you to be the person who stands by the door, needs you to be the father on the back porch sitting on the edge of a seat, just waiting for a glimpse of his son or daughter to come home, to, be, to become that person. Instead of always occupying the lost space and always hoping for God to somehow miraculously, demonstrably come and get you out of where you are, to become the embrace of God for someone else. I am so convinced that that is often how God changes us, how God transforms us, how, how God just changes everything inside of us. And yet, here's the thing. I'm aware that like living from that place entails considerable risk. Part of what Roar says about the dog that I love is like dogs are sort of creatures of pure being. They're fully present to the moment. They're not overthinking a thing. They're just able to enter into this thing. As humans, we're, much, we're not good at just being. So our relationships are complex and our motivations are complex. And this is why so often, even with people that we really love, maybe the people that we love the most, you know, we're a little bit fragile, we're easily hurt. So instead of like living with that kind of pure being in essence that just, hey, I want to embrace you, I do care about you, I do care what you think, I do, I, you, you matter to me. Instead, we play it cool and we end up being passive aggressive. You know what I'm talking about? Like I, your feelings are so hurt or you're so afraid of being rejected, you can't put your heart on your sleeve because we fear rejection in that way. I just think there's something so powerful and so transformative about not playing it cool. Uh, cool never helps in context of loving God and loving others because cool always involves self-consciousness. Instead of being so conscious of yourself, instead of being so conscious of whether or not your own needs are being met, instead of being so conscious of all things that are right here in front of you to become fully aware of this other person and to be willing to extend God's delight, to be able to extend God's love. Man, I just, I feel like I can't say this strongly enough, just how much, I feel like so many people around us are so ripe for transformation. If they had someone in their life that could embody the love of God in this way, I'm gonna love you no matter what. I'm not gonna look at you differently no matter what. No matter what you do, I'm still gonna be here. I'm gonna keep showing up. It's the only thing that changes it's the only thing that transforms. So I want to encourage you with that. But really, before we close, I do want to bring it full circle. Because as much as I believe that um, we do have to extend God's love from our own places of brokenness, uh, from even though we're not entirely mended ourselves, we may still feel some lostness ourselves. I, think, I really do believe that in reaching out from those places is often how we find who we are in Christ and what our calling really is to the world. But at the same time, I really do believe that the, the cornerstone of everything is that we have these moments where we're able to sit under the gaze of God and to allow 
him to stare into our eyes, to love us entirely where we are, to accept us, to receive us, to allow the love of God to saturate any and every place inside of us that's broken. So I want to take just a few moments now, if we could close our eyes. And I just want to encourage you to just get into whatever posture is best for you, just in a place where you're just attending to God, being aware of God. If that means relaxing your body a little bit or sitting up a little straighter, whatever that book should be, just to be in the presence of God. And now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence. We know that in you we live and move and have our being. Everything that's alive is alive right now because you're sustaining it. Your love sustains all things. Your love surrounds us in this space. For anybody who's listening to this somewhere else, your love is surrounding them there. Everywhere we look, everywhere we go, you are all around us. I just ask now, Lord Jesus, that in the stillness of this moment, that in the quiet, that you allow us to settle into your presence again. Where we can behold the one who beholds us smiling. Where we can feel something of the delight that you feel whenever any of your sons and daughters come home. How much you just want to be with us, for us to be with you. Not just for us to rejoice in you, but how somehow, even though we can't understand it, how you rejoice in us. Not just to delight in you, but to feel you delighting in us. Let's take a moment now. Just be quiet. And God, I pray in this moment that somehow you would reveal your heart to your sons and daughters. Church, allow him to see you fully, to know you fully, to gaze at you with his perfect love in all your broken places. Keep your eyes closed if you would, but I want, just, I want to linger here for another moment because I just feel like some of your souls are just so parched for a moment like this. Hmm. Wondering where God is or if he can find you where you are. And he's just 
been so eager for you to sit still long enough for you to let him love you. So let him in right now. Even as you're breathing, where you're breathing, you are breathing in and out the love of God. He is all around you. Breathe him in. Drink up his love. Allow it to saturate your pores. Allow the warm love of God to fill every nook and cranny. Where your heart is broken, allow the spirit of the Lord to bring healing. Where you are dry, allow the love of God to be a river that comes from within your belly. Where you are hungry, let him fill your mouth now with good things. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Be still. And know. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.